Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. I wish AOL hadn't had read it that way. <laughs> yeah, with a little, little gravitas. You've got mail, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Emails are done, dude. Um, yeah, this is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic, and everybody calls me Bibbs. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. For the purposes of this email, you may call me Rockmeister McCool. And uh, here's how this podcast works. You email us, we read them. Bada bing. Done. So let's get started. Yeah. Uh, if you want to write in, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Feel free to write in about whatever you want. We don't have time for all of them, but we do our best, so we just like to jump right in. Whitney, tell us about our first email. All right. Uh, this one comes from Name Redacted. Um, there's no name at the bottom of the email, mm-hmm. so I won't, won't read your name. And it says, uh, this template is used by integration tests only. Okay, next letter. Okay, well, th- that, that brings up an interesting point. Um... About film and criticism in yeah, some way. It's, uh, Wasn't I, that I a remember... funny thing? We got one, too. <laughs> yeah, isn't, isn't it adorable? Yeah. Uh, that set off a firestorm, though, uh, online of uh, people... HBO came out and said... Uh, they, they blamed it on an intern. Yeah. And an intern may have well been yeah, at fault. Yeah. And when that happened, not a single person said, Oh, curse you, intern. How dare you make a mistake? Everybody mm-hmm. said, yeah, interns... If, if you're working as an intern... Probably not paid much, mm-hmm. if anything. You Often might not. not nothing, you, might, yeah. you might be paid, getting paid nothing at all. So if you sent an email out to all the HBO Max subscribers that just said this is an integration test, it's a minor mistake. No, no one got hurt by that. Yeah, it was it was, it was briefly mm-hmm. amusing. We all had a good laugh, mm-hmm. and we're all fine. If that was an intern, I hope they didn't get fired. If some intern fell on their sword. For someone who is not an intern and maybe thought that they would look really, really bad for it, uh, you really didn't have to do that. <laughs> you didn't have to do that. And, yeah. and and if they did hire the intern for trying to save your ass, uh, like, it's a br- weird bring transaction. Br- bring bring them on, you know, yeah. put them on the payroll, give them some insurance. They've earned, they earned that much. They've, or, they've earned least, it. Yeah. They've earned it. Yeah. The, the, the uh, treatment of interns mm. in Hollywood uh, is... Uh, Bad. Awful. Yeah, it's just awful. There's <laughs> just the, straight up bad. The unpaid internship is uh, a, a lot of studios, development companies, production companies. They have a lot of unpaid interns. Many of them are college students. Some of them are not. Um, but it's a lot of work and it's a lot of time commitment. And yeah, you're, you're typically paid nothing. Mm. More often than not. It, there's starting... To, excuse me. Sorry. There's starting to be movement... Away from that, thank God. Uh, but yeah, well, starting, it's still starting. going oh, yeah. on. It's, but like, yeah. it's 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 basically unpaid unpaid labor, and as a result, a lot of people who can get these internships, many of which do lead to work down the road, are people who can afford not to work right now, yeah. or people who can afford not to get paid. Which is to say, people who already have money, and as a result, the same group of people tend to get funneled into the industry. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely exclusionary. It's, and that it's, sucks. Uh, it's, it's all legacy-based. It's all mm-hmm. wealth-based. It's all pretty yeah. sad. Um, did you ever have to work an unpaid internship? Uh, briefly in college. It was like one or two days a week mm-hmm. uh, for a small production company. And I will say this. They really didn't make me do much. Okay. There wasn't a lot of work involved. There was a, right. I was I read a lot of scripts. Mm-hmm. Um and that was about it. Okay. Uh, so I, it, that one, I will say, my internship wasn't uh, uh, as ex- wasn't yeah. as exploitative as many of them could be. Okay, uh, but I, I've heard the horror stories. I've seen it happen. Yeah, and I, it is not cool. I, I worked uh, four days, four hours a day, five days a week <sighs> at uh, at a film studio for two years. Yeah, that was on you for a lot of that. Yeah, though. you you. Could, you could have left. I could have left at any time, and they yeah. would have been fine with that. <laughs> they, they kept waiting uh, for you to, if memory serves. They, they, they I, I was said, I kept on saying out loud to anyone who would listen, including the big boss, "I'm going to stick around until you hire me or tell me to get the hell out." Mm-hmm. And they, they never, they hired me eventually. Mm-hmm. For uh, mm-hmm. they hired me to be a PA on a straight-to-video Stacy Keach movie. <laughs> For two days. So Stacey Keach movie. They paid me $50 in yeah. cash and told me to get the hell out. And that was it. <laughs> they found a loophole. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Mm. Nicely done. Anyway, so, uh, let's, move, 
Let's move on. Yeah, the, uh, here is a letter from Mark Edward Hoyk. Hello, hey. Hey, Mark. Uh, Mark is a good friend of ours and uh, co-hosts podcasts and stuff. Yeah, co-hosts um, podcasts over at the screen's margins. You may also know him from the movie trivia Schmodown. You may also know him from the uh, TV series Beat the Geeks. Mm-hmm. And if you're an L.A. local in particular, you've probably seen him at various screenings. And as he, he's been very heavily involved in a lot of home video releases. He's done a lot of really great commentary tracks and a, things yeah, over the years. A, a gadfly of the local film yeah. scene. B- bit, of a, bit of a legend. Bit of a legend. Says, uh, Dear Bibbs Cassidy and the Seibold Kid. All right. Nice. Uh, thank you for the incredibly kind and elevating things you said about me on the Streaming Club episode devoted to the Apple uh, we we were very complimentary. Well, we gave uh, we gave Mark a lot of the credit for reviving for, the Apple kind of bringing from it obscurity. Back, yeah. Yeah. It means a great deal, not just because we are friends and colleagues, but because you now have a worldwide audience that has put well earned trust in you. It is nice to be presented to them as someone worth paying attention to. And it seems <laughs> I've spent so much of my career on a pay no mind list. Uh, I'm writing specifically. Uh, to specifically augment and correct certain details from the episode, since, well, I know these things and people get a good education from your shows. Uh, first off, Menachem Golem and Yoram Globus did not actually form the Canon Group. The Canon Group was started in New Jersey in the early 70s by two Americans, Christopher Dewey and Dennis Friedlander, and like many other exploitation distributors at the time, handled a mixed bag of sex romps, martial arts action, and other random products and pickups. The two most famous films uh, of this incarnation were The Happy Hooker, with Lynn Redgrave playing a sanitized version of the sex worker turned author Xaviera uh, Hollander, which spawned two sequels, and John Avildsen's Joe, where uh, Peter Boyle played a blue collar guy who hates hippies. Uh, that hooks up with an upper-class dad whose daughter has run away and they go off to beat up hippies in retaliation. Didn't Peter Boyle get an Oscar nomination for I think that? he did. Yeah. It was a pretty, pretty well-regarded film. Yeah. It was in the late 70s when Golan and Globus, after selling Canon several of their movies, used that revenue to buy the company from them. Yes, arguably under the cousin's ownership, Canon's reputation exploded and made it the legendary studio it became, but it was only fair to acknowledge that it had a past before them. Fair enough. Uh, the wonderful documentary Electric Boogaloo by not-quite-Hollywood director Mark Hartley covers the same ground. You're right, that's a good documentary. Yeah, yeah. I guess I remembered it a bit more hastily yeah, than uh, I thought. Among the notable people who got early exposure in the Apple, it would be remiss not to mention Nigel Lifego, a British choreographer, maybe it's Lifego, uh, Nigel Lithgow, a British choreographer who already had impressive credits beforehand, including a variety show with Pandy, Grace Kennedy, uh, but is now a huge choreographer slash producer for American Idol, and so you think you can dance. All right. All right. Yeah. We, we, were, we were remiss. Uh, Bibbs was confused about whether the baby that materialized a year after uh, Alfie and Bibi joined the hippies was theirs, and I can vouch that it was, because I was lucky to have handled an earlier alternate cut of the apple... Probably the version they showed at Cannes, hoping to sell another distributor if Cannon released it themselves here. Oddly enough, it was financed by a German tax shelter company that also kicked in funds to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. The print also had extra footage in reels 4 and 5 that extended certain songs, and in that cut, during the Child of Love, uh, that's the song, uh, we would have seen our heroes have a hippie wedding and BB give birth and so forth. Also notable, in that early cut, it is made clear that the rail of the hippies is Mr. Tops. There's no Rolls Royce that shows up for a grand staircase entrance, he just transforms himself in the park. The Pimpmobile and the new Tops reveal were reshoots added later. Sadly, this alternate print went missing again after I specifically warned MGM Vault people not to let it out, or at least to get the footage scanned first, so it's not viewable otherwise uh, on the nice Blu-ray that came out a couple years ago, and who knows if that will ever be seen again. That sucks. Oh, by the way, before uh, before Mark writes us in again, um, Peter Boyle was not nominated for Best Actor, but Joe was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Okay. That's what I was thinking. an Oscar-nominated film. That's what I was thinking. I just got the wrong category. Um, uh, there's more. In reference to Whitney's new art, Midnight Holy Grails, I talked about uh, Transformers and Deep Throat. Yeah. As, yeah. as films like we them. could never get the yeah. rights to. Um, I can explain affirmatively why they never happened. In the case of Transformers, the rights had reverted back to Hasbro Toys, and at the time they had no structure in place for anyone who wanted to run the movie, since, you know, they're not a studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a similar problem for years regarding the original films of The Stepford Wives, The Heartbreak Kid, and Sleuth, which are now owned by pharma behemoth Bristol-Myers Squibb, since they invested in the production company back in the day. They haven't set up the simple means for anyone to screen them or... Uh, or have been interested in making a new deal for streaming and Blu-ray on them. Bristol Myers has yeah. film prints. That's yeah, weird. of the Stepford yeah. Wives. 
Uh, as and for sleuth yeah. for some reason, and the heartbreak kid. Why? <laughs> as for Deep Throat, uh, when the Fenton Bailey slash Randy Barbato documentary Inside Deep Throat came out in 2005, there was a nationwide reissue done on the movie by longtime exploitation presenter Mark Board, licensed from owner of record Ray Pistol at Arrow Productions, not to be confused with Arrow Films, the Blu-ray label. Uh, unfortunately, one of the big bosses at Landmark Theaters, who owns the new art and several other calendar houses, told the press in many cities where Landmark uh, where Landmark had theaters, their police departments had entire divisions still devoted to prosecuting anyone who played Deep Throat, <laughs> and thus it would not be booked at any of their venues. So, sorry, Charlie, it was never going to happen anyway. We did pull off a midnight of the infamous Italian Stallion with Sylvester Stallone, Ooh. so it's not like the brass were total prudes. Uh, thank you again for the shout-out. Tell everyone to subscribe to B. Peterson's The Screen Mar- Screens Margins Patreon so they can hear the two of us on our Dorothy Arzner podcast, Dance Dorothy Dance, and its spinoff, Friends of Dorothy, and all hail Bim, Mark Edward Hoyke. Bim! Uh, and that's why we love Mark. He yeah. knows everything, and he probably knew all of that off the top of his head, too. He didn't have to, like, mm. check that on a database well, or no, nothing. I he mean, just he, knows it. Well, I mean, he, he lived through a lot, a lot of that. I know, but that's... He, that's he helped he, distribute that. And that's I'm not saying of, he got it, like, be, because of a magic genie. Yeah. I, I know he learned it, His, by, you know. Mark, Mark's, Mark's mind is, like, the world's most powerful lint roller. Like, it'll, <laughs> it just picks up facts. You just roll, roll it across a suit, and it'll just pick up facts. Uh, he... Uh, and he always has, you know, facts as to, like, what studio owns what... Pro, you know which uh, which prints and which projects, etc., and how they sort of have changed hands over the day. Like that—that's mm. sort of his his field of expertise, yeah. just sort of naturally. I think that's just the where where he his interests lie. Yeah. Mm. Well, listen uh, seriously. Listen to that podcast over at the screens margins. You should be following them anyway. We highly recommend them. And uh, yeah, follow follow Mark on Twitter at the under. I think it's uh, underscore Hoyk H O Y K. Yeah, I think so. Um, he knows a lot. And he can yeah. answer a lot of your questions about stuff most people never even heard of. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he's a font of information, and we have a lot of respect for him here. So, uh, let's move on. Uh, here is a letter from Mike. Hi, Mike. Mm. Uh, greetings, Bibbs and Rockmeister McCool. It's Mike again. Hello, Mike again. Hi! Um, I will admit that I have so many blind spots when it comes to films. I haven't seen everything yet. I'm aware of most films through clips, scenes, and quotes, but it's popular culture osmosis that really screws with my head. It doesn't help that I'm forgetful about what I have seen and what I haven't seen only once or twice. Rewatching films and shows keeps my mind fresh. Anyway, that's beside the point. Recently, I realized that my biggest film decade blind spot is the 1970s. Hmm. I went through the years and counted how many 1970s films I remember seeing, not just based upon pop culture osmosis of the films. The number matches my age, 31. Wow. This year, I'm making a goal to get into more 1970s films in honor of the 50th anniversary of the decade. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, what would you recommend to watch when it comes to films of the 1970s? Ooh. Can it be obscure, foreign, underrated, even just critically acclaimed? Uh, thanks for your wonderful time and dedication, keeping film and television in the conversation through your podcasts, Mike. P.S. Bonus question, if you don't mind, what's your biggest? What are your biggest film blind spots? I'm sure you guys have seen lots of films, but are there films you haven't seen yet for various reasons? Uh, let's start with our blind spots because I think that's a shorter conversation than recommending. Yeah. Movies in the 1970s, which a lot of people have argued is one of, if not the greatest decades for cinema ever, and it's up there. If, yeah. if it's not number one, it's up there. Like, it's a lot of great cinema. Um, but what what are your biggest cinema blind spots? Is it a decade? Is it um, a I, I guess if we're, if we're talking about something really broad, like a decade... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it one of my biggest blind spots is actually like one of your biggest fields of expertise, mm. and that's uh, like Golden Age Hollywood. Oh, uh, okay. Like, like American films from the 1940s are just sort of like a big hole for me. Oh, I, didn't, um, I didn't realize it was that you considered it such a. Uh, just, well, it's it's just not not all an area I ever found myself drawn to when I was at the video huh. store. I was always looking for like cult oddities and you know really challenging films in foreign languages. So I never bothered to go into a lot of these really well-regarded American films just because American films didn't interest me that much. Fair enough. Uh, and it's only now through a, sort of our, our Oscars podcast that I'm having a chance to you know, get to know some of these actors and directors kind of for the first time. Well, I'm really glad so, we get yeah. to do that then. Yeah, it's 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 filling in sort of like a, a trench that is in in my film education. Um, it, my first instinct was to say silent cinema, although in my experience... Almost everyone has that as a blind spot, yeah. partly because 
a lot of that cinema is lost like forever mm-hmm. and we'll never get it back so it's hard you can't see it literally um but the thing with a lot of silent movies is that like there's like a maybe a couple of dozen silent movies that have achieved enough like pop culture weight mm-hmm. that we you've either heard of them or maybe you've seen a clip uh, and that's stuff like you know the works of Charlie Chaplin or yeah. German expressionist horror films or Metropolis, uh, the Great Train Robbery, that kind of thing. But there's a lot mm. that is still available, that is readily available. And anytime I delve into silent cinema, I am just stunned at how little I know. Mm. So that's one. But yeah, yeah. I also feel like that's that's a that's a that's a, a weak spot for a lot of people. So uh, if I'm going to go for another decade, I'm not going to say the '60s. Okay, the '60s is a decade where I've seen a lot. Hmm. But I don't really feel like I've ever really had a grasp on the sixties. Like <laughs> I've never like I've never like confidently like looked at all the films in the nineteen sixties and like, yeah, yeah, I've seen most of those. There's yeah. always well, that I've like I've never seen um let's see, The Man Who Would Be King, uh, I've never right. seen uh, Which is Tom from Jones. the seventies, but okay. Is that the seventies? Yeah. I think it's seventy two. Um Tom 60s. Jones is, is the sixties. Yeah, Tom right? Jones is the sixties. Okay. Well yeah. there you go. Well, I didn't see the sound of music until it was really like I think it was in my early thirties. Um, there's a lot I haven't seen in the 1960s. Uh, I've seen some of the bigger stuff, but not all of the bigger stuff. And there you go. Um, yeah, 75, the man it would be. Really that yeah. late? What nope. am I thinking? I think I'm confusing it with something then. Hmm. Well, in any case, I still haven't seen it. Um, <clears throat> I guess see that from the 70s. Um, when it comes to the 1970s, there are a few major, like, bullet points. Historically significant films. Hmm. And if you've seen, you said you've seen like nearly like three dozen or something. Um, there's a decent chance you've seen a few of them. Uh, Star Wars. Hmm. Probably a lot of people have seen Star Wars. It's it's, it's very pop- readily available. It's, it's a, very still popular. It's a know? popular movie. Yeah. yeah, but it was incredibly significant. Uh, same thing with the original Jaws. Hmm. Uh, a, a wonderful thriller. Uh, actually, has very trenchant points to make. Uh, but still very popular. Uh, the Godfather and The Godfather Part Two mm. are still very widely viewed, yeah. quoted regularly. Okay, can I reveal something? I've never seen Jaws all the way through. All the way, really? Like I've, I've seen all of it. It's one of those okay. one of those cases where I've you know I can piece it together. There's actually a lot of films that I, I watched. As somebody who works in movie theaters. Often you'll see films just sort of out of order, like kind of yeah, sure. by osmosis. So there's actually a large handful of films I've never, to be on TV never seen all the from time. beginning okay. to end. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, Saturday Night Fever is considered uh, sort of a seminal film of the 70s, speaking very specifically about a very specific time in 70s culture. Mm. A bit of a warning on Saturday Night Fever. It is typically considered like a dance movie. It is not a happy-go-lucky dance movie. It's actually no, a very bitter, no, no. very tragic, a lot of bad mm. things happen in that mm. movie. It is a, it is a harsh coming-of-age tale, but I would argue mm. a good one. Um, the Exorcist is considered mm. by many to be the scariest movie ever made. However, that is a really high bar to, to, to put any movie on, especially when you call it a horror movie, because... What scares people varies. Yeah. So yeah. when it's, I heard there was a scariest movie ever made, I was expecting something along the lines of like the Evil Dead, something a bit more, you know, kind wild of, and violent uh, and, and nightmarish. It's actually consistently. Really, it's actually a very quiet movie. Yeah. It's a lot of just sort of floating dread. My advice, if you haven't seen The Exorcist yet, approach it as a religious movie. Yeah. A movie yeah. about what happens when someone who is atheistic or agnostic, uh can't find a solution to a problem and then almost against their will has to revert to Christianity mm. for answers or Catholicism specifically. Uh, that's a great lens through which to watch yeah. it. If, and, and if it scares you cool, but if not, I think you'll appreciate it as a drama. Um, um. See, see. 19, films from the 1970s. Apocalypse is, Now. Yeah, gigantic Apocalypse motion is, picture. is really great. Um, yeah. When you start delving into the details, of, and mm-hmm. I, I don't like when people refer to uh, like I love '80s movies. Well, the '80s is what? Did, what the hell? What they mean is I like yeah. your Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. Yeah, you like you the know, genre, like, the, 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 like yeah. genre kid friendly genre films with a lot of special effects or teen very, movies or, like or, yeah. John Hughes stuff or that appeal to teenagers. Yeah. Those are typically uh, referred to as 80s movies. Nobody ever refers to Fitzcarraldo, a room with a view, yeah, a room with a view, or or, or uh, you know. Uh, a Largent, you know, these movies or Videodrome, you know, these movies oh, are maybe, maybe Videodrome, but yeah. these the films that are sort of lumped in with the oh. 80s movies. So uh, you look at any detail, any uh, decade in close mm. enough detail, 
uh, you're going to find a lot of variety. Well, and, yeah. Uh, so well, that's why I wanted to like I wanted to start with like the big ones. Like yeah, again, you so, probably know you need to see Rocky. You've probably heard yeah. of American Graffiti. Yeah. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah. Uh, but, but like, what what, what else the, is there? Like, dig a little deeper. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I started delving into um, cult movies uh, from yeah. the 1970s when I was younger. So I discovered things like Eraserhead and the Rocky Horror Picture Show and mm-hmm. Fantastic Planet and Female Trouble. All of these movies that are really. Um, uh, actually, I think Female Trouble is the sixty. Uh, let me look up Female Trouble. I think, yeah, yeah, I, think, uh, I think Female Trouble might be a wrong uh, decade, but, yeah, but, uh, but regardless, uh, it's it's of a piece. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of independent. Okay, so there was this really mainstream Hollywood that was making big epic things like the Towering Inferno. Well, and Female the Trouble Poseidon was, was seventy four. Okay, okay, I got it right. But like, yeah, it was, that's right. It was after Pink Flamingo. Hollywood was still making big epic movies. Hollywood mm-hmm. was also still making, uh, you know. More art, more artsy pictures mm. from filmmakers who had a lot on their minds. It was uh, that's one of the reasons why a lot of people love the seventies is because you know filmmakers like Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and could get Al- Altman, Robert Altman yeah. could get really difficult films made within mm. a studio system and find a big audience for them. Mm. That was really really exciting. However, yeah, there was starting to be this massive like really independent streak of people who are trying to really blow your minds and do really wild stuff. There was also a lot more uh, international films uh, flooding into the market, and many of those international films are also of a of a genre piece. We started getting way more horror films from Italy, mm, so like uh, Suspiria being sort of the crown jewel of that. Uh, basically, look at the early works of Argento, and you're going to find some exciting stuff. I particularly mm. recommend uh, Suspiria uh, from the '70s, Suspiria, Deep Red, and The Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Mm. Uh, probably not in that order; maybe reverse order would be a good way to do it. Mm. But um. Also, we started having a massive influx of action movies from Hong Kong. And this was a very, very, actually significant uh, uh, movement. Uh, These shows found a big audience in America. uh, And uh, this would have this massive ripple effect where it would change the way action filmmaking would be done in America. Not right all the way, but nowadays you can see a very clear cascade effect. Mm -hmm. Uh, It helped elevate Bruce Lee to essentially godhood. Uh, so I, on that note, uh, I would recommend, uh, you, you, you gotta see a couple of Bruce Lee movies. I recommend Fists of Fury and Enter the Dragon. Mm. Uh, Game of Death is a bit ghoulish, but there's some good clips. I would recommend watching that in clips. Just watch the bit where he fights Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> that, that's it. Don't see the rest of the movie. It's, they made it after he died and they totally exploited his death. It's not cool. Um, but, uh, also early Shaw Brothers movies. Uh, The Five Deadly Venoms. Uh, there's a great one called Dirty Ho, which is... A name that a lot of people chuckle at it has nothing to do with that. It's a guy named Ho, and he fights dirty. Uh, executioners from Shaolin, the thirty-sixth uh, chamber. Uh, these are all excellent films, yeah. and they're very wild. And a lot of them are Executioners from Shaolin is totally mm-hmm. unlike an action movie you'd see today, and it is absolutely mm-hmm. exciting and riveting. So I highly recommend um, it. Uh, on, on the independent film front, there was a big movement mm-hmm. for independent production. Um, Usually John Cassavetes is held up as sort of like the the forerunner of the mm-hmm. movement. He was just one of the bigger names in the movement. True. Um, I recommend uh, Opening Night and I recommend A Woman Under the Influence, specifically A Woman Under the Influence. I think that one's mm-hmm. really, really good. Um, Charles Burnett's Killer of Sheep came out in 1978, although it wouldn't, I think it be officially wasn't, wasn't going to be later, released yeah. until like 2005 or the, something. The music rights got really complicated, yeah. but uh, you still see Killer of Sheep, though, because it emerged in that era. Mm. It's still very much a 70s film. It just wasn't released yeah. properly until a little later. Um, but that's I'm movie. trying to think of like some other movies, like uh, other international films. Well, um, you got we, we we also uh, should, uh, yeah. Tarkovsky's Solaris, I think, mm-hmm. is a really interesting science fiction yeah. movie. It's like a good counterpoint from uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which just came out a few years before. Uh, you, you don't want to miss uh, the uh, mm. movement in African-American filmmaking uh, that was l- largely called uh, black exploitation. Uh, mm. It's more exploiting the audience than it was uh, mm. the, the actors and filmmakers, so people get that mixed mm. up. But um, there's a lot of exciting films made in that uh, uh, generation. Uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Mm. Yes, there's that many S's. Uh, uh, that's a classic. Cleopatra fact, Jones, the original Shaft. Uh, the Criterion Collection is putting out a Melvin Van, Van Peebles box set. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's the, exciting. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, animation started to move away from the Disney for all ages mold, and we started getting a lot more experimental animated films. Many of which from many of them from uh, Ralph Bakshi, mm. who. Uh, was at the forefront of like you know, animated movies for adults in America in the 70s. 
Um, some of his movies haven't aged well, but I highly recommend Wizards. Uh, I well, think Ralph, Wizards is excellent. Ralph Bakshi uh, banked on being very deliberately offensive, so yes. a lot of his his uh, films contain a lot of very uh, unbelievably crass humor. So yeah. if if you can roll with that, then yeah, I'll enjoy it. Oh yeah, just uh, be be ready for yeah. it. But I think Wizards is aged of that era particularly mm. well. Like yeah, it's, it's a really a, good it's a really good dark, weird yeah. sci-fi fantasy uh, saga. Some of my personal favorites, uh, Louis Bunuel's The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie. Um, my 12-year-old life would not have been complete were it not for <laughs> Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm very oh, fond yeah. of Ridley Scott's Alien, but you know about Alien, I don't have to talk about that one. Yeah, I, um, think, I think that's pretty well established. Yeah, um, um, I, I like uh, Peter Bogdanovich's film The Last Picture Show. Mm-hmm. Um, Good, another good little uh, independent drama about kids in a, a small town and their relationships and their relationship specifically as it pertains to the local movie theater, which mm-hmm. is uh, on the cusp of closing. You've probably heard of all of the hits. You've probably heard of a, a lot, lot of, of these anyway. that we're talking Taxi about. Taxi Driver, so. you've probably heard of that. Um, hopefully that's a good place to start. I'll give you one more. And this is a movie that was a massive hit. And people don't really talk about it quite so much anymore. Or if they do... They forget about what a massive hit it was. Smokey and the Bandit. It was as big as Star Wars. It was, ju- well, not quite, but it was really fucking big. Hmm. It was a movie about Burt Reynolds driving beer fast. They got beer in a truck. The truck's moving fast. Burt Reynolds is in like a, a, a sports car. And his job is to drive really, really fast and distract the cops so that the beer can arrive faster. <clears throat> this was the start of a gigantic movie franchise. And when you watch the first one, you get it. It is a very 70s action movie. It is all about CB radios and hanging out and talking and drinking beer and driving fast. See it. You'll get a good sense of where a lot of the entertainment was in the 70s. And you get a good contrast with why Star Wars felt really different. Mm. Came out the same month. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, mm. hopefully that gives you a primer. Something to start with. Mm. There's, it's a whole decade worth of cinema. There's a million things we didn't mention. But um, hopefully that gives you some stuff. That you, yeah, some a, stuff a, probably, at least a starting point. Hopefully some of the things we said makes you go, oh, that's interesting. I want to hear, learn more about that. Mm. Maybe just focus on one area for a while mm. or spread out. Pick one of everything. Mm. If you, Give it a try. And if you really want to know the decade, watch uh, House. Uh, next letter. <laughs> That's the uh, Japanese horror film Hauzu, yeah. which is, uh, just a fair warning, one of the weirdest movies ever made. <laughs> but it is a must-see. It's bananas. And if you feel like you've seen the movie Hauzu and you don't get it, you good. Don't. You don't. You that, you're not supposed... I would be worried if you did. <laughs> if you see Hauzu and be like, that made perfect sense to me. I'll be like, I do not. You're, 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 you're on some cosmic brain level that, yeah. that we're just. Please tell us more. Yeah. But uh, let's move on. That's, uh, those uh, are, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Thank you. Here is a letter from the Gorilla Walrus Ninja. Uh, hello to my uh, the two most badass film critics on the planet. Oh, where are they? <laughs> Who are you talking about? Um, I had a question about your experience as critics dealing with fans. Hmm. Uh, what are some of the movies over the years where you have gotten backlash after giving them negative reviews? Mm. Or perhaps are there films you gave positive reviews to where fans sent hate mail? I think of Star Wars, uh, where in a segment of the fan base turned uh, turned on the people who liked The Last Jedi. Is there a particular fan base you have found that has been more toxic than others? Uh, thank you for your entertaining shows. The the idea that some fan bases are more toxic than others mm. um, is... I, I feel like it's a little misleading because I honestly feel like the, the issue that we really have to deal with is that some fan bases are larger than others. Yeah. And when you get enough people, like a lot, like a huge, giant number, millions of people, there's going to be some jerks. Mm. There's going to be more jerks than if a movie only has five fans. You know, yeah, like if, 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 the ratio is going to so be yeah, off. It, it's going to be twenty percent across the board. Yeah. But if it's yeah, you're dealing with twenty million people. Yeah. So like, I've had some really bad experiences with everyone who people like DC movies, people like Marvel movies, both of whom have accused me of shilling for the other side or hating it's, the other side's side on scene, which I guess uh, means I'm doing something right. Well, I <laughs> mean, if I, if all I that uh, of both. I, I clearly am not one sided. Well, I mean, that, that just means you're getting uh, so much payback from these two studios because that's what studios do. 
uh, this is me sarca- being sarcastic. Yes, uh, it's very they, sarcastic. They call critics and say, we're going to give you money to give us give you a positive review. And that's, that's why critics are so rich. That's a... a <laughs> that's why critics live in I'm, mansions. I'm so poor. <laughs> I had so much ramen that's, this week, that's, you guys. That's why we have a Patreon, because we're yeah. so rich from all the Marvel yeah, paybacks. No, that's, uh, if you've ever heard that, that is not how that works. But mm. but regardless, it's like the, the idea it's, that... It's, it's happened. Oh, I'm not Where saying a, stu- never... a studio has given money to an outlet uh, mm-hmm. f- for a positive review. There's been some minor scandals over yeah. the years, but they're outed. It's really they're outed. Uh, anybody who wrote it is ousted from the profession. Yeah, it, you, you, and, that you put your entire career at risk yeah. if you do that. If you did because that, because you have no integrity. If you do that, yeah, and so, yeah, that's all you've got is your integrity. So yeah, if if you, if you people can't trust your opinion to at least be genuine, which is all you can really do. You got nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you shouldn't be doing this job. Uh, so it's not worth the risk. And no one I, I know or respect, at least, would do it. Um, but uh, regardless, issue of uh, of the fans. Yeah, I've I've pissed off uh, Star Trek fans. I've pissed off Star Wars fans. Uh, I've pissed off uh, a lot of Star Wars fans. I've pissed <laughs> off uh, DC fans, pissed off Marvel fans. The places that have the biggest fan base. Yeah. Um a lot of times there's a lot of people in those fan bases who they define a big part of themselves mm. by the thing that they love. And I get that. I've done that too. Um, but it makes any critique, whether it's completely benign and as uh, uh, as straightforward and, you know, as polite as can be, or if you're, be- if you're being a little snarky, which we mm. can all be from time to time, um, it can feel like a personal affront. Yeah, yeah, I define myself by my love of Batman. You critiqued this Batman, you're, therefore I am you're not critiquing just, me. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's understandable. Mm. I, I think it's immature, but it's understandable to respond to that emotionally mm. and to sort of lash out. Well, we need to stop doing that because it's a really mm. unhealthy way to communicate. But it, or at the very least, not let it yeah. go so far. But uh, yeah, that's it. Happens. And it's happened when I've praised things, and it's happened when I have yeah, um, uh, uh, criticized things. The the word I got really horrid backlash on t- two of my reviews, where like people would like write me emails and attack mm. me personally. Rambo, uh, R- yeah, Rambo Five, yeah, which was. Um, maybe not coincidentally my last printed review (laughs) 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 haven't written anything in print since then it's been a little while uh and uh before that a man of steel got like a lot of anger like people were writing me like finding me on like twitter and social media and like writing me angry letters just personally how dare you how dare you give man of steel better you know what i still don't like man of steel you haven't converted me back um (laughs) Yeah, I got, I got I, a lot. I still, I, I, it's been a while, but it's, I, for months and maybe even like a year after that movie came out, Rambo: Last Blood, mm. people did not want to hear no, the idea that like no, no. maybe there's a political undercurrent to this. It's Rambo, and I'm like, yeah. Have you yeah. seen the other movies? <laughs> Rambo's not political, really. Yeah, it's like one of the more political movies. It's um, one of the most political yeah. movie franchises ever produced. Um. Yeah, Ra- Ram. My uh, my review was quoted in Breitbart. Uh, yeah, it's just, I'm so glad I've avoided that. Yeah, that's, so, that's awful. Uh, but um, it's not so much fandom uh, that that gets under my skin because anything can have a fandom now. And, sure. And it, in fact, the word fandom and like nerdery and geekery has now become so broadly defined that it doesn't really refer to anything specific anymore. No, it's, it's like, like a many different, and it's just, if, if you like a thing, you're a nerd about it. Well, that's not what it used to mean, but that's yeah. kind of what it means now. It's, it's fine. Just uh, the, the uh, term got watered down a bit. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that, it happens. It, it used yeah. to be like, uh, to describe something a little bit more like specifically fanatical. Well, whereas, it's, it's uh, like a word like awesome, which used to mean like awe inspiring. Uh, yeah. And now it's just like, ah, what a great yeah. cheeseburger. Yeah. That cheeseburger is oh. awesome. You know? Oh, awesome. I got, I still have milk. Yeah, it's like yeah, which it happens. That's just the language evolves. The way the way the the word yeah. came to be used. There, there are it's, times um, when I get up in arms about it when I feel like we kind of need that term. Mm. But there's a lot of words that mean awesome. Uh, yeah, I really yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I try I try not to refer to like fandoms or nerds because it's it's so difficult to define those words now they're just yeah. all, all the definition is too broad but what does get under my skin is when uh there's an assumption of 
some kind of consensus opinion about a movie that I'm commenting on. Oh yeah. Uh, if, if, uh, this is why, like, I, I'm actually very fond of the show, uh, that, uh, the fandom website puts out called honest trailers. Oh yeah. And, uh, they're really well written. I actually know some of the writers for it. And, uh, yeah, Lon Harris, Lon Harris, has, yeah. Done a lot of stuff with us. He's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, watch the money plane, uh, honest trailer. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. That was a labor of love for Lon Harris. Yeah. He, he was very, 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 also, proud. also watch money plane. It's a hoot. <laughs> Still haven't seen it. <laughs> like it's, it, it's getting a reputation as like one of the worst things ever. It's actually pretty watchable. It's just unbelievably cheap and dumb. Yeah. I can deal. You can roll with cheap and dumb and still be entertaining. Uh, but honest trailers come at their movies from the the point of view that they assume all of the viewers kind of feel the same way about a movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, we're going to do an honest trailer about Scott Pilgrim versus the world. We're all on the same page, right? Or, uh, you know, Mortal Engines. We all feel the same way about Mortal Engines. Yeah, well, nobody liked the Mortal yeah. Engines, right? No, nobody likes this one. Everybody likes this one. And we're going to speak about the film from that perspective, as though there is a, as though it has been decided. Yeah, yeah. Like the, yeah. we we looked at the Rotten Tomatoes aggregate, and we've come to the conclusion mm-hmm. that everybody liked this, so we're going to speak about it in those terms. And that's been really frustrating when I try to talk about these movies because I have my own opinion about these movies. Yeah, I'm a film critic. I have to, and uh, I don't necessarily share the consensus opinion. Mm-hmm. So I now have to start tempering my language and adding a lot more information to put my view of these films into a broader context. Yeah. And when I just sort of lay out my opinion, everybody says, Oh, you're just being contrarian or don't you understand? Mm -hmm. This is the way we are all supposed to feel about something. And that that's, that's not necessarily fandom. That's a little, something a little bit broader and more insidious. There's there's a general and it's a frustrating tendency for people. Like if you go against what is considered the norm or the grain or the consensus, people assume there's this, there's people assume there's something wrong with you. Like mm-hmm. maybe you're just trying to be different a, as if that's the worst thing you could possibly be. Yeah. And, uh, Especially when it comes to like big, broad corporate entertainment. Right. But like also, but that's, I recently, and this wasn't like a, oh, a lot of people did this, but I recently posted a thing. It was the so-and-so anniversary of Batman returns, mm. uh, which for my money is the best live action Batman movie. I decided I, to talk I, about it a lot. It, it's certainly my favorite. It's, yeah. it's a, a, I understand when people describe it as off-putting. But yeah. Sure, I get that, but yeah. I also don't think that's bad. Um, and, uh, and that doesn't mean I don't also love The Dark Knight or Tim Burton's Batman. Um, I don't love them all, but there's a lot that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I think about it, the more I feel like that version of Batman, which has uh, its own flaws is about what it means to be Batman. It's about the duality of the human soul and stuff. And well, it's about how Batman is very, uh, a very kinky thing to engage in. Mm-hmm. And it's Doesn't also, shy away from that. and it's also a very kind of a sick thing to engage. It's in about, as well. yeah. yeah, it's about duplicity. It's about corruption. It's about sexism. It's actually got a lot on its mind. And on top of it all, it's just a really fun, wild action movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just pointed out, like, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it. And mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned, Batman Returns is the best Batman movie. And some people agreed, some people disagreed. But it was, like, one person who says, like, ugh, nostalgic critics. And I'm like, yeah, because if there's one thing you you anyone who follows what I do mm-hmm. uh, knows is that I don't reevaluate things from the past. Mm-hmm. It's not like I've built a whole network around doing that. Like it's canceled too soon. That's our only the best podcast. That's our Star Trek podcast. That's our Batman podcast. We went through an entire series of Firefly. Like we did the entire series of Firefly. And by the end of it, we concluded that Firefly sucks. That's actually not a good show. Yeah. Like, like there's stuff like I, I like about I, I was, it, but it's not good. I, like, I, I mean, I was skeptical going in yeah. and like, those, I was a fan yeah. going in. I hadn't revisited it in 10 years. <laughs> and I realized like, wow, there's a lot of, ugly shit here yeah like, we have not really dealt with as a fandom like it is not cool like yeah it does not hold up very good and if i had just been going off of my nostalgia i would have said yeah they're fun characters and sometimes there's a twister rooney and it's they got a cool shit and like no i'm watching it now i'm like oh god it's actually really ugly <laughs> like not just not looking like just in its themes it's well, not cool well also looking it's just well, that, I, that early that, 2000 photography I, I don't mind that as much as you do but whatever that's my that's my point right. 
I firmly believe in reevaluating things as constantly as we can. We have to. We have to. We can't just take for granted well, that what was yeah. old is still good and what was bad is still bad. You have to go back and reevaluate everything once in a while just to see maybe we missed something. Maybe something was actually like wildly ahead of its time and we didn't appreciate it until now that we're having different conversations or have different values in our art. Um, you have to constantly reevaluate things. And so that means sometimes challenging the norm. Does that mean that we're heroes? Yes. <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that we're heroes. But it does mean sometimes that we mm. have to voice what could be considered an, be an unpopular opinion. Mm. And if we are loud enough, maybe some people will hear us and consider the point of view if we articulate it well. Yeah. And then maybe over time we can find interest in other people's opinions, adopt other people's opinions if they make sense to us. And we can all grow rather than stagnate and yeah, say this I, is this I, is always good and this is always bad. This is especially important uh, in the era of home video, and you yeah. know we've been living in the era of home video since you know seventies technically. Seventies like, technically, I'd, the say, 80s I'd say the eight, yeah, the yeah. Eight, like the the, the the VCR boom of the nineteen eighties is when it kind of began in earnest. And uh, that gave us access to everything all of a sudden. Now in yeah. streaming, it's even wider spread. And uh, we no longer have to settle on a canon of films we don't get to see very often. Yeah. Uh, where critics get to see this and sort of analyze it and go in yeah. and uh, kind of put it put it a stamp on it and then set it aside. Yeah. We can constantly if, if you're evaluate lucky, these one day it'll be on can... TV or it'll screen yeah, in a theater yeah, near will... you. It's like, no, you can see it anytime you want and you don't have to put a rarefied air around it. Hmm. You can just watch it again and again and actually yeah, see was, what it is. There, there was a, a, a value to putting a rarefied air on a film when you couldn't see it, when it yeah. was actually rare. Yeah. Uh, because that was the best way to keep it in the conversation. Yeah, I like, haven't seen this film yet, but it's been put at the top of this list as yeah. one of the best films ever made. It's really worth remembering mm. that sometimes, like how wildly different the cinematic landscape was for fans of movies until the 80s when people started actually like en masse having VCRs and Betamaxes mm. and Laserdiscs. Like, movies were not readily available. There was a movie theater near you, maybe two or three if you lived in a big city. But like, you, you, you had what movies might have been on TV and you had to schedule your day around them and they might have been edited uh, or you went to a theater. It wasn't like a book mm. where if you like a book, you can buy that book and reread it over and over and over again. Or, after, you know, in 20th century, a record. Mm. I like that music. I can buy that record or go to a record store and listen to it over and over and over and, again. And keep in mind, these are all tech-based. There was even a time yeah. when you couldn't get books and exactly. own them, you know, before the, the invention of the printing press. Exactly. So it took until about the 80s for people to be able to regularly acquire if only through rentals and then purchasing became more cost effective uh, movies and consume them regularly and devour them voraciously and have access to lots of movies all at once. It wasn't just what happened to be made available to you through the scheduling of your local TV stations or your local theaters. You had choice mm -hmm. and you had all the, and so the fandom a lot of it emerged from that, from actually being able to control and pursue your passions with more glee. Well, and, and also um, immerse yourself in it 24 hours a day. Sometimes, uh, yeah. You, you didn't have to let go. If you had the, the, the movie, you could watch it over and over and over again. And mm -hmm. I think, and that, of course, has changed the way we talk about movies. It's changed the way we think about details in movies rather than adding color. Now they become mm -hmm. parts of the story. I've noticed there are... Uh, uh, that whole movie, uh, Rogue One, was based on like a detail from Star Wars that you just sort of take for granted when you're watching the movie. It really didn't need its and, own movie. But and then yet, people had watched the movie so much, they started fixating on that detail, and lo, they made a whole movie about that one detail. Mm -hmm. And that goes for also uh, just actual minutia as well. Mm -hmm. There used to be like, oh, there's a little tiny problem with the movie. No one's going to notice that. No. They're going to see it once in a theater. One eagle-eye viewer might notice that, oh, that glass isn't on the table. Yeah, in this shot and now people can watch the movie over and over again and now they're going to notice these things and that's where the mm. movie starts suddenly feeling sloppy they weren't mm. it just wasn't a priority before people could see them all the time on big screen tvs and pause it mm. you know different world anyway, we got off on the uh, beaten path yeah. uh but yeah fandoms we, we we pissed them off one we, we this way and that 
If, if you're a critic, it's going to happen to you eventually. Yeah, you, you have to be honest about your opinion. And the simple fact is uh, you can't agree with everyone all the time. And if you did, I'd be worried. Because mm. you, I, I want my critics, the people I follow and listen to, to have their own perspective. And if their perspective is everyone else's perspective, I don't need their perspective, do I? Mm. I, I, they're, they're not adding anything. They're just echoing things. Yeah, mm. and we want. I want to listen to people who will challenge my view and viewpoints and look at things from a new and exciting way. Maybe I don't agree with them, but at the very least, I'm thinking about the art form in a different way. So, mm. anyway, um, so if, my point is, if we piss people off, as long as we're not being mean about it. Uh, if we people off once in a while, I mean, it kind of means we're doing something right. But again, everything can be done wrong and no one wants to be a jerk about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, one more letter? Yeah, we have one, yeah, we have one right. or two more. Yeah. All right. Uh, here's a letter from RJ. Hi, RJ. Hi, RJ. Um, dear William and Whitney, this is probably going to be a long letter. Oh, don't worry about it. <laughs> Apologies for that. Uh, but it is a, about a subject I care about quite deeply and I know you care about it too. That of physical media. Okay. Uh, much like you too, I'm an avid collector of physical media. I believe wholeheartedly in it, and I pray it doesn't fade away as many people imagine it will. But as we much like to talk about how important it is to preserve films and hang on to things so that we don't lose them, it can't be avoided that sometimes I just have to clear out my collection a little because there's a lot of stuff I just don't want or need anymore. Hmm. Yeah, fair. Reasonable. I, I, I do. I do purges occasionally. Sometimes you have well. to prune. Um, yeah. Uh, I find it quite uh, difficult. Quite. Quite difficult to part ways with Blu-rays, uh, but it becomes increasingly clearer to me that I need to be more selective and curate my collection a little better. Amidst the piles of films I'll be settling on are films that I have watched, I've not watched or thought on, thought about in several years, and I simply can't keep letting them take up space on my shelves when I continue to buy more. They're not even bad films. Some are just getting sold because I've either bought a better version or yeah. I plan to, and others I just haven't thought about or seen in so long that I can't justify keeping them. Makes perfect that, sense. That includes films like White House Down, Commando, <gasps> Kick-Ass, Frost Nixon, and Joy, to name a few. White House Down? Oh, you gave away White House Down. We, we quite like that movie, but I told you <laughs> it's fine. We're, uh, we're just kidding. I have a 4K Ultra HD copy of Ready Player One. I film a saw in cinema and liked a great deal about it when it came out three years ago and I was looking at it today and I haven't even taken it out of the plastic. <laughs> stuff like that just needs to go. Admittedly, though, there is stuff I can't bear to part with because of the interest of preservation. I own Stanley Kubrick's first feature film, Fear and Desire, on Blu-ray, and I really don't yeah. care for it. However, it's now out of print in the UK and it... It would not be cheap to buy back if I changed my mind. Plus, it has some interesting special features, including some of Kubrick's early shorts. So something like that, I feel, is definitely worth keeping, regardless of my opinion on the film. Hmm. Uh, while I prefer physical media to streaming, streaming has, an has had an effect on one of my choices. Uh, my decision to sell uh, my five-season box set of Star Wars The Clone Wars comes down to its availability on Disney+. Plus. I never properly watched the show, only episodes here and there, and I bought this years ago with plans to finally get into it. This still hasn't happened. And with Disney's acquisition of Star Wars, it seems unlikely that Season 7 will ever get released physically. Season 6 just got a very quiet release here in the UK, so hope is not totally lost. Yeah. At that point, do I even want to own the first five seasons if, I nev if I'll never have a complete set? That's the collector's mentality. That's, that's, I totally there, you know? understand that mentality, yeah. yeah. Uh, do I need it taking up space on my shelves when I currently have no attachment to it? Being such a popular property, it's not likely to leave Disney Plus at any point, so I can at least find security in that, which I can't with many other titles and streaming services. Yep, oh. that's right. Ah, ha, ha, but are you willing to pay the monthly fee? Well, here's the deal. If you you yeah. can always just pay the monthly fee for one month, mm. mainline through the Clone Wars, and, and then, then quit. Yeah, then... Yeah. yeah, turn off your subscription. Yeah, uh, which would get, be cheaper than buying the set. Yeah, uh, to get a tad personal for a second, my collection is only as big as it is because collecting Blu-rays was one of the only things that brought me joy. I didn't get to, I didn't go to university originally. Uh, settling for the first time, work at eighteen, and stuck in a miserable office job that sucked the soul out of me. Living with my parents and paying very cheap rent, I had a lot of disposable income, and that meant buying Blu-rays every single week without fail. Every week. I bought every new release that I saw in cinemas and only vaguely liked. In this period, uh, there was virtually no quality control for me. I picked up these titles <laughs> for the euphoric but temporary rush they gave me. I could have saved so much money in this time and have been better off for it, but now I'm back in education with a part-time job and still have faced, numer faced numerous financial issues since I started, which has slowed my purchases down quite a bit. But you live and learn, I suppose. And I spent that money at the time... Uh, at the time I did because I felt like it made me happy. That's probably unhealthy to think about this too much. Hmm. Retail therapy. Look, it's, look, it's a look, look we, we, can, we all sometimes spend more money on something than we should. Hmm. But, you know, it sounds like it made you happy for a while and you're moving on from it. 
so yeah, I, I think you're okay. Yeah, don't worry fine. about that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry for rambling. Uh, what I wanted to ask was, how do you guys view your physical media collections? Hmm. Do you curate it in certain ways, or are you fairly open with what you buy and keep? I find that from now on, I'm going to be a lot more specific and catering to certain interests more than others. Thank you for the work, all the work you do. It does doesn't go unappreciated. If I ever find myself in a good position to spare more money, I will definitely be going beyond the $1 tier on Patreon. Oh, um, thanks thanks oh, for even that. That's, thank that's you. nothing. That, that's um, a lot, and we appreciate that. Uh, but then I would have to find time for all those damn podcasts. <laughs> Sincerely yours, yeah, RJ. Yeah, fair enough. Um, RJ, that's a great letter. Thank you yeah. so much for that. Um, there's a bit of a conversation that people were having online this week about uh, physical media, and someone was like, I own 75 DVDs slash Blu-rays. Mm. Here's why I think physical media is important. And on one hand... Like that, which, that, and 75 was meant to be a lot to them. Well, and, and, I, and, and that's worth... Mm. I, I don't want to mock that, because yeah. uh, A, I think the purpose of the article is very well-intentioned and fine. And B, to some people, 75 is a lot. Mm. That's a lot of movies to own. And... I was thinking about this because I have a collector's mentality. We have a collector's mentality in this house. Between Michelle's book collection, which dwarfs my own, mm-hmm. and my DVD slash Blu-ray collection, which, which dwarfs hers, although she actually has quite a sizable one, um, we have a lot of stuff that we love. We have a lot of mm-hmm. art that we love, and we want to keep on hand. We're not reading it constantly. We're not watching every disc constantly. But the majority of these, then I'll focus exclusively on my home video collection, um, the majority of these mean something to me. Um, they either uh, represent you know the time that I saw them, mm. or my just my particular love of that film. Sometimes my hate of that film. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's a few there's a few movies that I own that I actively dislike, but I want to have them around because as a critic, I find myself needing to talk about them. Mm. Like I own most of the Transformers movies. Ugh. I don't like most of the Transformers. There's like two that I like. Only one that I really like. Uh, but I still have them. Why? Because I kept having to write about them. Mm. And I didn't want to keep having to rent them. <laughs> so I didn't want it. So I figured if I just buy the, I bought a couple of used copies mm. and now I just have them. And I'm not yeah. going to get rid of them now because they'll come up again. I just yeah, know it. Um, so for me, the, on one hand, I'm looking at these as a collector where these are... Uh, things that matter to me. And as a collector, you know, I like having them. I like having access to them. I like being able to access them at any time. I like being able to show them off a little bit. But people, <laughs> yeah. remember, people go like, ooh, that's a lot of DVDs. And I'm like, hey, well, yeah. There, there was, uh, and there was that f- social function for a little bit where uh, your your collection was a, a bit of a boasting point. Yeah, sure. Uh, that, and that's, and I think you, it's part you, of the collection. You'd have people, yeah. oh, you would buy it. Uh, a specific movie because you knew it would be impressive to friends when they came over to, to see your collection. Yeah. And that's, and again, yeah. that's not necessarily unhealthy. Oh, uh, it's people. A lot of people have a thing that they collect that they're particularly fond of. Sometimes it's, uh, sometimes it's movies sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's cookware or whatever. There's just whatever you think is really, really cool. And you know that other people who think it's really cool will know that you have a cool one of those. Mm. We can all appreciate stuff like that. Um, but I also view it as this is a library for me as a, as a film critic. Yeah. This is a, 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 a catalog of films that I have ready access to. And while, yes, a fair number of them will probably never be hard to find on streaming, thanks to stuff like Disney Plus, I have quite a few Disney movies. Mm. Many of them are very popular. It's unlikely that Disney is just going to suddenly say, eh, screw it. You can't get Sleeping Beauty anymore. Like, no, mm. that one's probably got a permanent home on Disney Plus now. Um, as long as there's a Disney Plus as long as there's a Disney Plus which is of course a factor but regardless this is a library that I can access for my work sometimes it's a library of things that I can lend to people this is not readily available Hmm. you can't find this I want to make sure that you can access this I will loan this to you so that the love of this can be spread more readily Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's a big part of it. Now, I, I, I will say this. I own... About 2,000, over 2,000. Would you say I own 2,000? Yeah, about. Okay, that's, that's a yeah. guesstimate, but it's yeah. probably not wrong. Um, um, your, yours is a little bigger than mine because yeah. uh, yours is a combination with your wives as well. True. And, true. Uh, yeah, and, and you've you've been uh, I would say a little less discerning in some cases. Well, I have different uh, tastes. Yeah, that's <laughs> I have different true. Tastes. Uh, um, but but what I will say is this: I have slowed down dramatically. Mm. I used to buy. 
DVDs or Blu-rays a lot. That was when I had a more steady income. Hmm. When I was making more money, I had more money to spend on things that I liked, not just things that I needed. Yeah. yeah. So nowadays, the vast majority of my money goes to luxuries like the rent <laughs> and, and groceries. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They, uh, most of my money either goes right back into these podcasts mm. or they go to le- you know everyday yeah. legitimate expenses. And there isn't a lot of luxury buying. Yeah, so the, I don't buy nearly as many Blu-rays or DVDs as I used to. I buy a few throughout the year. Hmm. I certainly have them on wish lists for like my birthday and stuff like that, and I love getting them. But I, I I'm, I'm an adult. I have responsibilities and bills to pay, and I can't afford this as much right yeah. now. I support home video, but I can't support it with my money as much as I used to because I have less of it now. Yeah, yeah so that, a... that's just the practicality of life, you know. I think you can sell your copy of the Nut Job too. You can you can get it. You can get a nice I'm nickel say, for that one. I'm going to say this right uh, now. If you needed the Nut Job too, where would you go? <laughs> would you Would you Here, go here's to the thing. Would you Here's would the you... thing. I'm I'm having a really difficult time, uh-huh. even with the depths of imagination I have. <laughs> Trying to come up with a scenario where I would really need to see the Nut Job too. Uh, I just anyway. stumbled into the nut job too. I will say this: I didn't okay. see it. Like, ooh, the nut job too. Like, I just sort of found its way into my collection. Yeah, somehow, but yeah. you found it just on the ground. Yeah, um, it's like finding a yeah. penny. Oh, the nut job too. Uh, Might as well pick it up. The state of collecting uh, movies and actually having a film library in your home has changed dramatically over the mm. years. This is another yeah. thing. Uh, you know, in, it, when VCRs were really big, people started collecting VHS when they reached the consumer market. Yeah. Um, VHS used to be made of a lot higher quality materials, and if you wanted to buy one, it was like $80 for a single mm. film. And the quality uh, was higher. The quality was higher, yeah. and, and yeah. if uh, years after the fact, I could go into thrift stores and find like rental-grade copies, and they were like a, a mm. buck. It's like, oh, I'll definitely get that. And they usually held um, up pretty good, yeah. Because they were meant to be rented and played over and over again. Yeah, so they're, they're made, made of sturdier material. material yeah. uh, the, the ones that you got at home aren't going to be played as much. Yeah. Uh, I was like you, uh, RJ. Uh, I collected kind of indiscriminately for a while there. In fact, when I was in college, I joined the Columbia House Video Collectors Club. Ah, oh, the legends I have heard of this club. I was, I was rejected. <laughs> I applied, and they were like, you're not cool enough for the Columbia House Club. I would, I would never be part of a Columbia Klaus club that would have me as a member. Um... The Columbia House Video Collectors Club was, uh, they had a really great introductory offer. It's like, send us a penny, we'll send you ten movies. All you have to do to to get those ten movies is agree to buy uh, our, like, like they called them director's selections, uh, once a month at our price. And mm-hmm. their price was much higher than retail. So uh, it, it was a bit of a scam, but there was a way, ways in and out of it. So yeah, um, then one year for my birthday, my dad got me another uh, big pile of videos just as a gift. So uh, that was sort of the, the the beginning of my film collection. Yeah, if it was something I kind of liked in theaters, I got it used at Blockbuster. Mm. I would just sort of start start amassing these things. And, um, you know, as formats changed, I started upgrading. And then, then uh, the purges started happening because I realized I had too many and there were a lot of films that I just had never watched or just had no interest in keeping in my collection. Uh, so yeah, I started uh, filtering them all out, and now I'm actually in a, in a place where I feel like I can upgrade everything to Blu-ray, uh, should I be so impassioned, and should I have the, the expendable income? Now, this is actually a little bit of a sticking point when it comes to collecting physical media. We are big proponents of it. We like having libraries on our homes, and we encourage you to have a library in your home as well. But it does take a lot of money, doesn't it? Yes, it's it actually a, a position of privilege sure to is. have a library like this, which has always been true of libraries. Those yeah. who have access to shit have more shit. Well, it's also, it's and, also uh, access to space. A lot of yeah, people don't indeed, have it. Yeah. A lot so, of people say, that I'd love to own a lot of DVDs. I know a lot of space. And I'm like... There. Yeah. yeah. I, so, I prioritize um, making space I will, for my DVDs, but there's other stuff I could put here that might be more practical. Yeah, fully I, so I, I fully acknowledge that uh, in in being a proponent of collecting physical media, I am actually sort of playing into sort of a class issue and a wealth mm. issue that you people can't afford to buy all these really wonderful movies, especially now when, uh, you know, DVDs are not the the same kind of disposable uh, 
things you can kind of accumulate the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some still some people who will go to like their local Best Buy or Target and just sort of pick up cheap DVDs. But the whole market has moved really hard into the collector's territory because mm. physical media is less popular than it was. I'm not sure. going to say it's dying out. I'll just say it's less popular. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's always going to be a place mm. for it on some level, yeah. And as such, if you want a specific movie, it's now specially curated. And if you really want a gigantic fancy edition with multiple discs of John Carpenter's Escape from New York, you can get that from the Shout Factory. Costs a lot, though. If you want a really high-quality Blu-ray from the Criterion Collection, you can get that. But Criterion notoriously charges a lot for their videos. Yeah. Uh, if, if you've... That, this is why everybody's eyes light up when uh, Barnes & Noble has their half-off sale. It's like, oh, they're affordable now. <laughs> I can get two for one, essentially. Um, so uh, I, I'm now trying to curate especially carefully when it comes to mm-hmm. any video I'm going to bring into the house. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be something I know I'm going to watch multiple times or mm-hmm. uh, I need for the sake of posterity. Yeah. Like this is something that I feel like I will, I might not watch this many, many times, mm-hmm. but I'm going to want this nearby. Yeah. Should the urge strike. Yeah. This is, this has, this, this is, or sometimes it's just rarity. Yeah. Like I can't believe this exists. I'm totally getting this. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, when it comes to, um, certain really bonkers cult films. I'm never getting rid of my Playgirl morning workout VHS. Uh, <laughs> which has no nudity, by the way. Yeah. It's actually a rather PG-rated video, but it's named oh, after Playgirl magazine. That's nice. Uh, um, <laughs> but yeah, but at the same... Or, or like a... If I'm really ambitious, I'm going to save up and I'm going to buy like a big box set. I, you know, I'm, Am I going to buy one or two of my favorite Friday the 13th movies? No. But if I get them all... Yeah. Yeah. If, That's if, cool. I hate some of those movies, but... You, know, you, I, I, you, you, you'll revisit them and you I, And know I still it. watch them. Yeah. yeah. You'll go to watch them again. Yeah. yeah. In, in fact, go over to the Sofa Dogs podcast uh, hosted by John Pavlich. Uh, he and I have done numerous commentary tracks, nine of them to be exact, yeah. on the first nine Friday the 13th films. So, uh, yeah, I had a reason to have those. Sure. Uh so yeah, I'm, I'm saving now for the uh, the big ticket items, yeah. big box sets, Criterion sets, Shout Factory, Arrow Video, the things mm-hmm. that have been specially curated, and I feel like once I buy them, I won't need to upgrade anymore. Yeah, and I won't want to get out of my collection. I'm I'm because I'm older now, and space is limited, and mm-hmm. you know I have a young child. Uh, simply ac- accumulating isn't doesn't have the same kind of thrill that it once did anymore. No, no, your priorities are a little different. I totally get that. And and I think that's worth noting. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important, again, just to reiterate, we don't want to be elitist about this because we know a lot of people would love to spend a lot more money on Blu-rays, and they can't. And I can't. There was a time when I could. And much like uh, uh, our our listener, Mm -hmm. sometimes I look at my wall of DVDs and think to myself... Could have had a nicer honeymoon, you know. Like, it's, yeah, yeah, you know, like it, it. Yeah, you know, your priorities change over time. But I try not to be too judgy about it. And my movie collection has brought me a lot of joy over the years. And yeah, and yeah, sometimes I'll get rid of some stuff. I'll sell a few things, but I'm at the point now where I realize that a lot of these things aren't going to get like re-released. No, so in the you, time in the near future. So, so if you, if you want them even we, the smallest to be, you may as well keep them. At this point, I may as well keep them, and I probably will. Mm. Um, so, yeah. But uh, if if you ever want to throw Karate Dog off a cliff, I'll be there for you. The, Don't, the DVD, right? Not not an actual dog that knows karate, because we need those. Maybe the character from the movie, like in the abstract, I'd happily fling yeah. off a cliff. No, no, no. There's a there's a movie called Karate Dog. It's not very good. Um, anyway, D- John Voight does karate. With the dog and I, loses. I know why you're keeping it. It's in case you ever have to do a Bob Clark retrospective. Actually, yes. <laughs> Actually, that's 100% true. He did Christmas Story and Black Christmas and Karate Dog. And Karate Dog. And, and Baby Geniuses. Like he did One and two. Yeah, he did both of those movies. So Odd career, that Bob Clark. Yeah. Odd career. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. If you wrote in and we haven't got to your email yet, we're going to do more next week. Uh, we can't get to them all, but we try, so feel free to write in again. Or if it's really important, it's super important to you, you really want to uh, make sure we get a nudge, it's timely perhaps, 
uh, you're more than welcome to like just nudge us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Uh, once again, that email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, and also, if you're so inclined, you could also uh, send us a, a snail mail. Mail full of snails. <laughs> just a send, big old box of snails. Send us some escargot. No, actually, don't send us escargot. No, that's probably, I'm, I'm, probably I'm, I'm vegetarian. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, we have a P.O. Box. Uh, just write us in, Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Uh, if you send us a letter in print, we'll read it on the air as well. Yep, definitely. Yeah. It's, all in the, it's all in the pool. It doesn't have to be from a screen. It can yeah. be from a piece of paper. And, uh, of course, we also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. A very special thank you to everyone who has subscribed to the Patreon. We know it's at even a dollar a month is a financial commitment, mm-hmm. and we're incredibly grateful to yeah. everybody who contributes. Uh, we hope you're enjoying the uh, shows that we produce on the uh, Patreon. Mm. Uh, we're a little bit behind on some stuff. We have a commentary track coming up soon for Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, which is, in our defense, four hours. But you will get it <laughs> soon. Um, we just released our latest uh, episode of Only the Best, where we're reviewing every single film ever nominated for Best Picture. We just got through the 10 Best Picture nominees of 1941. We're on to 1942. Uh, we uh, just wrapped up Star Trek the Animated Series on our Star Trek podcast all our yesterdays, we're about to start the live-action movies, mm-hmm. and then the next generation. A lot of people's favorite. We're going to get started with that in about a month. Wait, waiting for us. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we got Batman shows as well. Uh, there's a lot going on over at the Patreon, and a big backlog as well. If you want to listen to that Firefly show, that's still available, even at the $1 tier. And at $1, you get to vote for shows uh, mm-hmm. uh, that we produce every single week, so hopefully you feel you're involved. We want you to be. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, yeah, we did the Twitter. Uh, we got uh, over at Salt Cat Soap. You can follow Salt Cat Soap mm-hmm. on Instagram and Twitter at Salt Cat Soap. We have a lot of soap. Yeah, we make soap. M. Lapis de Silva, my wife and partner, and I, we make soap, fancy designer soap, handcrafted. They make wonderful gifts. They're great in the summer. You're gonna get sweaty, and you know it. It's hot out there. <laughs> Might as well get some soap. Wash, wash off. Yeah, we got a lot of really wonderful soaps yeah. and our uh, uh, Monty Python-inspired Father's Day sets. We have a few of them left over after the holiday. They're 10% off through the end of the month, and then after that, they're gone. That was an exclusive. <laughs> Out of there. So, still time to get that. They smell of elderberries. They smell really good, actually. Um, and uh, so that's that, too. And I think that's it. And I think that's it. Thank you for writing in. We're very grateful. Sincerely yours, Bibbs and Whitney. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.